Christ is born. Glorify him. On this special Christmas episode, we take a look at the mystery of the Christmas story. Am I referring to the virgin birth? No, not that one. This mystery is so mysterious, I bet you've never even noticed it until now. The bottom line, one of the biggest mysteries of the nativity story reminds us that Jesus is the one who brings hope into the world. You're listening to The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Welcome to The Way Podcast. I'm Father Dustin Lyon. First off, I want to wish everyone who's listening to this on Christmas Day, Merry Christmas. Or if you're listening to it soon after Christmas, uh, Merry Christmas. Or as we say in the Orthodox Church, Christ is born, with the response being, glorify him. In today's episode, I want to talk about the hope found in the Christmas story. And this is sort of related to what I talked about last week with the genealogy of Christ. Now, this is where the mystery happens. Now, it's not the virgin birth, because in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew takes the virgin birth for granted. He doesn't seem to struggle with how that could happen, like we might as modern-day Christians. We're concerned with science and biology and wondering how a virgin could give birth. Matthew takes that as a given. Of course, the Holy Spirit comes, and Mary becomes pregnant. But there is another mystery embedded in the text. Perhaps some of you may have seen it, or perhaps you've never noticed it. And the mystery has to do with the end of the genealogy. So here it is as a quick refresher for all of you. Not in whole, just the last few lines. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary by whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Did you catch the problem? Did you catch the mystery? At the end of that genealogy, we notice that it is Joseph's genealogy. In other words, none of this is actually the genealogy of Jesus. Because after all, Jesus' human flesh comes from Mary, not Joseph. So why didn't Matthew give Mary's genealogy? Why did he give Joseph's? And what difference does it make? Why would he bother giving Joseph's genealogy anyway? Why give any genealogy then? Why not just say, Jesus was born to Mary and her husband was Joseph? Now, it's clear that the emphasis of the genealogy is in three sets of 14 generations. So the first set is Abraham to David. The second set is David to the deportation to Babylon. And then the third set is the deportation to Babylon to Jesus. And I think what this is saying is that Jesus' birth is not an accident, 
but it occurs in the fullness of time. In other words, God had preparing all of humanity for salvation. God had preparing us for Jesus' birth. And he's done so very systematically. And it's no accident that these 14 generations are divided into three sets, or three sets of 14. And I don't think it's any accident that when Matthew summarizes these three sets of 14 generations, he uses the name Abraham, the name David, and then the event of the deportation to Babylon. Now, these are three key moments. There are all those other names in between, and I've encouraged you last week to go and look at each of those names and find out what they mean. But those two names and one event are very specific. First, Abraham is the person with whom God made the covenant. Remember, Abraham had left his homeland and traveled to the promised land that God would show him. And there God promises to make him the father of many nations. But in reality, that has yet to happen. Matthew is reminding us of that covenant by mentioning Abraham. And then he mentions King David. And we all know the story of King David. We know how he slew Goliath. We know how he slept with Bathsheba and how Solomon was born. We know all about David. But God also made a promise to David. And he promised to raise up his offspring and establish his throne forever. But yet, in the very next thing mentioned, which is the deportation to Babylon, we realize that too has failed. So now, in the first century, it seems like God's promise to Abraham is non-existent. It seems like God's promise to David is non-existent. In fact, the Israelites and the Judeans had been exiled to Assyria and Babylon, and it seems like all hope is lost. And so, Matthew is reminding us of this. He's reminding us of the promise to Abraham, he's reminding us of the promise to David, and he's reminding us how those promises are left unfulfilled. But of course, we know that Matthew's point is that Jesus fulfills both of these promises. Despite the despair of being exiled out of your homeland, God is still being faithful to his promises. He still remembers them and intends to fully execute his promises. But what does all of this have to do with this genealogy? Other than the reminder of the story, why would Matthew spent time going over this genealogy only to say, well, this is the genealogy of Joseph, but Jesus was born of Mary. Why is he doing this? One of the ways that Matthew solves this mystery is by exactly what comes next. Here we have the problem of Joseph and Mary. Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, and they had been betrothed. Now, this is like a promise of marriage, and in biblical times, in order to break a betrothal, you essentially had to get a divorce, even though you weren't technically married. Now, the Orthodox Church does this today. I don't know of any other Christian tradition that does it this way. But in the wedding service, the very beginning of the service, which traditionally takes place in the back of the church, is the betrothal, and that's the exchange of the rings. And then comes the crowning, which is the wedding proper. So the modern-day Orthodox wedding service is actually two separate ceremonies, the betrothal and then the wedding. 
And we can actually do those separately if we wanted to. If someone came to me and said, can we do the betrothal? And then a few months down the line, let's do the crowning. I could say, yes, we can do that because it's technically two different services. And so in the Orthodox Church, we've kind of preserved that tradition. But Joseph had been betrothed to Mary. And so technically, they would need a divorce in order not to go through with the marriage. And as one of my professors in seminary said, technically, the betrothal aspect of the Orthodox Christian wedding service fulfills all the legal requirements of marriage. Even though for us, marriage is the crowning, the part that comes afterwards. Because Mary has become pregnant, and obviously he has not slept with Mary, he decides to kind of secretly put her away, to try to avoid public shame for both her and him. But as it says, Joseph has a dream, and he's encouraged in this dream to marry Mary. And in this dream, the Lord says to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So Matthew is solving the problem of this genealogy by having Joseph name the child. And it's almost a test Will Joseph go through with the dream he had from God? Will he actually name the child Jesus? This may sound odd to us. What does this have to do with anything? Well, in this time, for a man to name this child would be to accept this child as his own son. And in doing this, he would be functionally adopting this child, making Jesus his own, making this genealogy Jesus' genealogy. Now, how do we know this? Well, in the Mishnah, which is ancient Jewish law or writings on Scripture, we have something that says exactly this. This is Misha Baba Batra 8.6. It says, If a man said, This is my son, he may be believed. In other words, this is essentially how adoptions happened at this point. So when Joseph names Jesus, he's making Jesus his son. He's adopting him. And it means he's making all of these people Jesus's ancestors in this way. Even though Matthew may be solving the problem a little bit, there's another deeper point being made. And that is, salvation does not come about by human procreation, but by God's promise. So, you have all these people who have fathered all of these sons, with one exception, and I'll talk about that in a second, and it's almost as if humanity is trying to produce some sort of eternal life. Now, not one single person can have eternal life, but you can project your seed, if you will, into the future by having sons and grandsons and great-grandsons and so on and so forth. And it's almost as if this solution to death, the solution to the fall, is to have children and project yourself forward in that way. But here, God breaks the pattern, because Jesus doesn't come from any of these people. Jesus is not the seed of those who came before. He had to be adopted. In other words, what this is saying is that human salvation, because that's what Jesus means, the name Jesus, it means God is salvation. 
Salvation does not come by human procreation, but by God's promise. Remember those promises that I talked about with Abraham and then David, and then the deportation seeming like none of those promises will come about? Here God is doing as he said he would do. He's saving us. He's fulfilling the covenants. Now, this isn't the first time that God has acted in a mysterious way like this. You may recall from earlier episodes, and I know my parish knows this story well, that when Isaac is born from Abraham, Abraham is not Isaac's father, at least by the flesh, according to Scripture. If you go back and read the story in Genesis, it does not say that Abraham knew his wife Sarah. That had been the standard formula for all the people born in the Old Testament before Abraham. Except for Isaac, the text changes. It simply says, and God did what he said he would do, and Sarah bore Isaac. In other words, Isaac also is a virgin birth, if you will. He is a son of the promise, not a son of the seed of Abraham, a son of the promise. And we can see why. Now, St. Paul picks up on all of this, and he really emphasizes this for the Gentiles, that we are not physical heirs of Israel, we are not physical descendants of Israel, but by faith we are grafted onto the branch, we're grafted onto the vine, and made heirs of the promise. In the same way, we are adopted, or you could say, we are children of the promise by faith just like Isaac was a son of the promise. And now it seems like Matthew is saying the same thing about Jesus. He is a son of the promise. This is God doing what he said he would do, and not man interjecting his seed into the situation. But there's also another point being made. It's that Jesus is not a king like the earthly kings. So some of those names we read in the genealogy were kings. David and Solomon, for example, were kings, and they were earthly kings, and they failed. Because of their sins, their people suffered. Because of their sins, they were exiled into Babylon. That's the legacy of human kings. It's sin and destruction. But Jesus is not a king in the same sense. And we know he's not a king in the same sense because he isn't born like they are born. Jesus is a king in a very different sense. He's the king of the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, depending on which gospel you're reading. And at this time, we know that the current king, which is Herod the Great, is also a disaster. And in fact, Matthew will talk about how Herod tries to destroy Jesus and ends up slaughtering all the innocents, all the other babies at the time. He also is a disaster and ends in failure. But Jesus is different. Instead of enslaving the people and making them serve the king, Jesus as king serves us. He instructs us with God's law, and then he goes to the cross and dies for us. This is a very different king. This king fulfills the promises He makes us all children of Abraham, which means Abraham is the father of a multitude of nations. 
and he is the continuation of David's throne, but as a true king, in the true sense, shepherding his people in the desert of Syria. So that's why this genealogy is not the biological genealogy of Jesus Christ. And that's the mystery, that this genealogy is Joseph's and not Jesus's or Mary's. But when you stop and explore that mystery, you'll see that it gives us hope. It gives us hope because God fulfills the promises he made in the previous generations. God has not abandoned us. He is still with us, and he is still embracing us, making us his children, which is precisely why Jesus is also called Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you for listening, and I pray that you have a blessed Christmas. Christ is born. Glorify him. I'll see you next week.